Hey everybody, welcome for Time and Again, Clay, otherwise known as the episode mm. where the primary costume designer went on strike for this episode and this episode alone, leaving <laughs> the cast and producers only with a box of candy corn costumes from the local Halloween outlet that they had to put to good use, and I think that they did. I think they did do that. I I assume you're joking. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how, the, how strikes work in Hollywood. <laughs> Too close to reality. All we have are these candy corn outfits that vaguely look like Star Trek cosplay outfits because the shoulder design is exactly the same as the Starfleet uniform. It's just a weird color on and on. What and if... On. What if we just level the playing field gender-wise with clothing and have everybody wear corsets? They were ahead of their time. They were ahead of their time yeah. and time again. This is... I I thought it was interesting because there was the, the colored ones who look like, you know, medieval harlequin jesters. Uh, and then there were the other guys... The guards. ...who were like the security guards who just had like black long sleeve t-shirts with like a bad... <laughs> graphic design on the front of it like a tiny little they had the um it's very strange they had the little like headband earworm earmuff one piece things too on their heads it was it was just a it's a it's a strangely the production design in this one is kind of strange but anyway it's called time and again it is the fourth episode of voyager's first season came out january 30th 1995 it was written by teleplay goes to david kemper and michael pillar story credit goes to david kemper directed by les landau in universe date specifically it's not known but it's 2371 end of day in this episode called time and again while investigating a massive explosion that destroyed all life on a planet janeway and paris are swept back a day in time where they must prevent the explosion first things the first that log line is much better than the Roku log line, which I have to bring up because it kind of spoils the episode. It doesn't spoil it, but it, it tells you more information than is necessary in a log line on the Roku blurb. Did you mention, did you notice that? I didn't, no. It tells you, uh, it's something along the lines of like, Paris and Janeway go back in time to stop an explosion, or do they realize that they caused the explosion? Like they, they throw that little bit of information into it and it's like, ow, oh, it kind of tainted yeah. me for the episode because you know the entire time that everything, I think you, I think you'd predict that. I don't think it's unpredictable that they're going to be responsible somehow for what happens, but it's nice to not know it right from the start, I think is a better way to approach that, that kind of an idea. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I actually didn't guess it. Uh, I think because I was too preoccupied with really marveling at how confident Janeway was about not knowing anything about what's going on. She like they get to the end and she is so out of her element, but she is so confident that it's just like whatever you guys are doing is gonna fuck this thing up and everyone's gonna die. So we're just gonna wait here. And the guy's like, do you have any idea where we even are right now? Like, do you know what you're standing next to or how any of this technology works? And yep. she's just like, I do not and I don't care. Don't make me shoot this gun at you, you son of a bitch. She is she is very confident in this one. So time and time again, or it's just time and again, another time travel episode right in a row which is nice yeah i was surprised um another another decent episode i think i kind of like this one i didn't think this one had i i was um 
I, I think some patron in the previous episode had mentioned, like, I feel that this episode is pretty good, but I think I'm going to see a lot of episodes like this, so I'll give it a three. And that's not really how my mm. rating scale works, but I feel that this one is on par with Parallax in a lot of ways. Like, I think it's kind of the oh, same the same quality of episode. Um, so I, I, I think that there are basically good and bad things about these the episodes that we've seen. Um, and I think time and again is, is no different than any of it. I, I think that there are like, it continues this thing of, I really like the character work in this show so far. Mm-hmm. I think it's just better than enterprises was to say that again, but it's like, yeah, oh, definitely. It, it, it's so 100%. much easier to just sit with these characters. And even when they're not really doing anything, I kind of enjoy it. Like I don't like the scenes where, um, it's an episode of contradiction kind of because I really like this concept of being in the same place at different times and the two sides are trying to figure out what's going on in each time and whether or not they're in the same room as the person as Janeway was when the thing happened. So I don't think that mm-hmm. they, the stuff in the present, the quote unquote present after the explosion, I don't think those are like riveting scenes and it's a lot of techno babble and people looking at their tricorders going like, well, if we shoot this thing with this thing, nothing will work. But I still find right. the character interactions to carry a lot of it. Like I f- there was one line that like when they find the melted Starfleet badges and Bolana's like, ah, looks like they died in the explosion. And Tuvok just has this great line. He's like, all this proves is that their badges were caught in the explosion. Then he just like walks off and I was like, that's a good Vulcan line right there. Like that is all that that right, proves. Yeah. And so I, I like that stuff. Yeah, I, I think I like this one a little less than parallax i i did like the the character interactions but i i i felt like this one was not really um it it wasn't as meaty of a story for me as parallax was as far as like characters go and themes and stuff like i is it is the whole thing supposed to be like an atomic energy allegory I was wondering if the it's the first a, thing I thought of. Yeah, if it's a criticism of nuclear energy, but it's if yeah. if anything, it's a criticism of any kind of energy because gas lines explode as that happened in that town in Massachusetts, like two years ago or whatever. Like, oh, true. Any, any kind yeah. of energy yeah. fuel going into people's homes is going to blow up potentially. Um, yeah. So I didn't think it was specifically nuclear, even if that implies to be the case. But mm. so I, I guess my the reason I like this one is because Observer Effect is my favorite Enterprise episode. And I like Observer Effect because it is a swift denunciation of the TNG version of what the Prime Directive is. What I like about mm. Time and Again is it's probably the most convincing argument I've seen for the TNG argument, which is nice. Like, So even though I think that their their ethics and their like the way that they view the Prime Directive is kind of immoral and unethical, this is the best case argument for it, I think, even though it relies heavily on time travel and stuff to get the point across. I still I still think that like this is a very effective example of why you don't interfere with places. Although right. the counter to it is there's no intent on the Voyager crew to do anything. So I think that that kind of shoots you in the foot. Right. Like if if you're not intending to do anything, anything could happen. Right. And you could say that you are right, not yeah. or you either are or are not responsible for the thing that happened. So there's no intent that they're supposed to interfere with people, which I think is the problem with it. But what I do like about it is that it is a sort of like really sci-fi way of showing through the best of intentions, they cause this 
causal chain of stuff to happen, which results in a bad outcome, which is like a fairly effective argument for the prime directive, even if, even if I still disagree with it. But that's what I like about it. It's the opposite of observer effect. Yeah, I really liked um, – <clears throat> that was when it really started picking up for me is when when they got to that moment where Janeway just threw it out the window and we just started telling everybody everything. Um, because I <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I think my my – where this one lacks a bit for me is um, I couldn't really tell what the the stuff in the past was about really because they didn't get into much of the civilization they were in uh, or any, like even the thing, even the part where they're like storming the power plant or whatever. I'm not really sure what the two sides are in this situation. Like, and, and then it ultimately ends up not being about that. But the thing it is about comes late enough in the episode where I felt like they had, I don't want to say wasted time, but had wasted an opportunity to kind of get into some stuff. Um, but once that kicks in and you see, okay, she's throwing the prime directive out the window and then it ends up being like this interesting sidestep of the prime directive that actually uh, solves the problem because they caused the problem. Yeah. I thought that was really fun. Um, <clears throat> it is it is an interesting paradox, though, because, like, I mean, they, went, they were investigating, like you said, under the best of intentions so and they're investigating after this cataclysm has already happened so the prime directive doesn't really apply there i would guess right Unless, there's no there's no is there a there. rule yeah is there a rule that that you can't interfere if everybody's already dead no i think someone has to someone has to be conscious and be able to see you for it to be a problem yeah yeah um so yeah it's it's a weird kind of i it was probably one of the better prime directive episodes i've seen in a while because yeah. of they found a new take on it where it's like, well, how does this hold up against if you under the best intentions of of uh, of upholding the prime directive actually end up causing the thing that you tried not to cause? Yeah. So it is it's it's really fun. It's a, it's a cool idea. Yeah, it's it's a neat combination of time travel, the prime directive, which I generally think is kind of a boring concept and either like mm-hmm. immoral or just wrong. But they also um there, there's this like, I, I think it does its best work at just um, trying to prove the prime directive. And like, I, th- I thought it was also just kind of a prescient episode just because it's like the prime directive is basically <laughs> interventionalism. And we're recording this on like the second day of the Ukrainian tragedy with Russia and stuff yeah. like that. And it's interesting. It's just, like I don't think that that's really an interventionalist uh, situation in the way that the prime directive is supposed to be, but it is kind of a interesting philosophical argument that I think Janeway, like, if I, if I have any kind of sort of strange issue with it, it's that I think that there was a time and a place in this episode for Janeway to really come to grips with the Prime Directive in a way that she doesn't. So I was kind of, I'm still kind of stuck in Enterprise mode where it, when I'm watching this, Janeway says she's like, we have to hold up, uphold the Prime Directive and not tell anybody about what we've done. And then it smash cuts to the scene where the guy's there and she's like, I'm from the future. <laughs> and I w- I'm still in an enterprise mindset where I'm like, oh, they're not going to explain why she 
changed her mind like that. They're just going to kind of go along with it. But then she does explain it. And it, it, I think that that wishy-washiness is kind of like indicative of the idea itself. Like I, I think there is a good mm-hmm. place to argue against and for the prime directive, just like there's a, like a, a way to sort of argue for and against interventionalism and in like the international sphere and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that I think a lot of the Star Trek episodes do a bad job of it. Like they don't really seem to understand what they're talking about, but I, I thought that this one was as clever as you could be with that in mind. You know, it's like they, it's clever, but it also doesn't really apply because you go, well, they need time travel for something this strange to happen, and that's not right. going to happen in reality. So I don't really feel that connected with the material in the long run. Yeah, I think the prime directive, <clears throat> excuse me, is is something that's interesting to look at in general because when you when you kind of start slicing it up, yeah, you get into these really interesting ethical and moral que- moral ethical and moral questions. But it stems all from the idea that in this version of the future where they have space travel and and the prime directive is a thing, you're operating from a position of basically being a god. Yeah. And so it is whether or not you as a god should step in and alter the the course of a, of a, a planet's history just because you can. And which I think in and of itself is a really interesting question. Um, and so, and I, I, but when they do use it as kind of a crutch, I think that's when it, it becomes ethically and morally interesting because it's usually used as like a, an excuse as to why they have to let like a genocide happen or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> but so I think it, using it in this way is is interesting because you are they are presenting this idea that your godlike power has done this by accident because you are trying not to interfere and it's it's a really interesting kind of fun you weren't even aware uh, that they were there you know you just kind of showed up you just walked into the room and someone happened to be there and is it is it your fault that that happened you know yeah and it's it's even like trickier than that because it's like it's it because you're showing up after the fact yeah you know and so it's it, it's really it's a really tricky sort of uh thought thought question um that i think she i i like that she throws it out the window at a certain point but again i even there though i think it's it's so fascinating to me in this because she's not doing it because she knows what the answer is she's doing it because she has no idea what the answer is as i was saying like when they when they go to the power plant there she's got no clue what's going on she's basically throwing everything at the wall trying to figure out how to stop this thing which includes saying she's from the future which includes threatening to kill people which and, and to the point where the only thing that tips her off is when you know she actually sees what's going on but it is it is really fascinating where it's like she has gotten to a point where she is like is she trying to like if she was adhering by the prime directive obviously she would let everybody die and she would let herself die right yeah and it's like what what is the moment 
where she decides that that's not the right way to go. Well, I, I, I think that's that's what's flimsy about it is that her decision yeah. to betray, in air quotes, the prime directive is born plot wise from her realization that she has to explain to the audience what the plot mechanics are at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So she her her whole thing about she doesn't re, she doesn't betray the prime directive because it's a point in time where she can take advantage of that fact she does it because the plot demands that she explain that they've already traveled through time and caused this situation to happen so therefore like it's a it's a really by the book nerd interpretation of the prime directive there's like no real personality going into that decision which is interesting she's just doing it to um get the plot across but i I, well go ahead but she does it. She does it earlier than that, though, because she doesn't know that they are the cause of it when she when she's given it all up. She, she does it. it up she and, does it in the office, right? She says, "My yeah. name is Catherine Janeway, and I'm from the future." And then in the the next scene, that scene ends. The next scene is Tom going, "Why did you tell that guy what the what the thing is?" And she explains, "Well, because we've already done this, because we caused this, so therefore we've already violated the prime directive. So now I can do it again." Okay, so she's she's just speaking theoretically at that point. Yeah, right? she's like, "We might have. We might." Our existence here might be the thing that causes. Yeah, I, she's she's correct, but she is guessing at what has happened. Yes, yes right. Yeah. Okay, right. the the only The only other thing about the prime directive that I thought is funny is the episode also does the funny thing that um, it also kind of shows how unnecessary the prime directive is because if you're dealing with a pre warp species, right? That's just like basically like humans, like us. If you were to violate the prime directive and tell them about it, there's a 99.9% chance they will not believe you and think you're crazy. You know, there, there's like right. there's, there's this right. there's always this um fear in the captains that like we can't tell them anything about it. But if you go down you're like I'm the captain of a starship and I'm from the future, they go, "Yeah, all right. What 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 continent are you from that you don't know what the clock right. looks like?" Right. You know, stuff like yeah. that. That's all, I, I don't think there's ever been a Star Trek episode that's played that up enough. It, like the the crew is trying to convince them of something and people just going i don't think that's true that doesn't sound right that's well just isn't not that true. isn't that kind of more or less like what star trek 4 is or they're trying to they're they're trying to keep it under the under the under mm. the, the vest at that point right i can't yeah, remember yeah but, yeah but yeah i i mean yeah if you just think about think about that in realistic terms if tomorrow captain Picard showed up on cnn and was like hi I'm from the future. I'm a starship. It's like, well, all right, sure, bud. Well, yeah, change the channel. This this thing is uh, they're grasping for ratings. Yeah, or I, or everybody as soon as he shows up would scream and yell "demon" like that child did. Yeah, which I thought was a very interesting response. Equally, like, what, <laughs> what under what situations would you need to like this? I I. Like even if you were a kid and you saw two people just appear out of nowhere in a crowded space, would you immediately scream at the top of your lungs and yell demon? <laughs> Demons. Well, it's a little this is a pretty generic sci-fi race they've come across, <clears throat> right? Like there's there's nothing really interesting about these people. They uh they believe in demons, but they're also like extremely advanced in some ways, like they have this power system. They, they're not extremely they religiously set up. They do that thing that I that I hate, which is just like the sign of the most base level science fiction writing, where they come up with like an a term that is overly technical for an everyday item. For instance, in this one, the guy's like, 
go have more of that confection bar that you were eating yeah. before. It's like it's ju- uh, it's not futuristic because you said confection bar instead of candy bar. You know, yeah. it's I hate that stuff. It's it, it's so hacky. It's kind of a bad version of um, just because I read the 1984 Orwell language where there's like a poetry to what he did, but this mm-hmm. is just like replacing a word with another word that they looked up in the thesaurus and did it. What I thought was funny about this race was. Um, their pistols are just like pistols from They're the 20th guns. century. Yeah. <laughs> that, that everything that was one thing where I was when I was watching this episode I was going, "Oh boy, I think we are in for some rough production design in this show because yeah. like, we mentioned that we last saying, episode. The, yeah, just on the ship design, but this is the world design, yeah. Yeah, the the guards were just wearing their uniforms were awful and yeah. everybody's carrying just like prop pistols yeah and they're like still using like squib hits on the wall and stuff but yep. instead of a gun noise it's a laser blast it was it was very strange <laughs> yeah it was so it just made me made me like okay this is gonna be some low rent star trek on this show i think yeah did um before we move on to anything any, another topic um I did want to, I just would stress that, like, I did think that this was one of my favorite Prime Directive episodes, really. Like, it kept my attention. It had something Mm -hmm. actually interesting to say about it, even if I disagree with it. And um, the mechanics for how it worked were neat. I I still, it's still, like, I still heavily feel an early, uh, an influence of TNG on this quite a bit like th- mm. that that take on things yeah, is a very tng influence and i'm not sure that i think that that will age particularly well as we mm-hmm. move into the series but the only the only downside of it is that i would have preferred well i guess it ties it ties into the ending somewhat so we can do it here so the ending just resets everything and i think that mm-hmm. was a big mistake I, I think that the ending should not i think that th- what they do should result in that explosion on that planet. I I don't know what. Oh, that, so you think that they shouldn't? You, they shouldn't get the the save. You think they should have to deal with the fact that they killed an entire. Well, I'm really I'm people. really conf, I'm really conflicted because I think that I think that that makes more sense emotionally, but they wouldn't. They shouldn't be sad in that case because it's ultimately not really their fault. That's just like a completely bizarre thing that happened. You know, like. Yeah, but like that's like finding out that your car that you parked very securely like the brakes went off and rolled rolled down the hill and killed somebody. It's like you're right. still going to feel bad even though it has nothing to do with the fact that you it's not it's not due to anything you did, but it's still you inadvertently caused the death of in this case a planet's worth of people, which again, <laughs> 3 episodes into a new Star Trek show not a great way to build uh you know sympathy for main characters and a crew no it's it's not i i guess that my thing is they're like so if the, if they're trying to sell the prime directive that the, the prime directive this is why you don't interfere because horrible things can happen to you i think that mm-hmm. the only way like if it's not saying that you shouldn't interfere at all because you don't know what the consequences are what the episode is saying through the reset is that it's okay to interfere every once in a while because things will probably turn out right. You know, I just don't, I don't think it squares with what it's arguing is the point of the prime directive, really, which is that you shouldn't 
even through temporal mechanics, you shouldn't interfere with things because you have no idea what the outcome is going to be. You know. Well, I think I think that's where the episode gets muddy for me because I when I by the end of it, I wasn't even really sure what they were trying to say. I feel right. like the, whatever <clears throat> message or whatever the theme is, I feel like gets kind of muddled. Maybe that's because of the time travel mechanics that are in play, or what? Because um, yeah, like it's. What, what what do you come away with from the episode at the end? Because like, it just don't help anybody ever. I guess. Yes, <laughs> is the takeaway. That if that's that's what I take to be the takeaway. If you if you accept on its face what this plot is about, is that like mm-hmm. even even unintentional interference can lead to disaster, which is a very difficult way to live life because you'll never know what went wrong because of what you did. But I. Right. I I don't think the episode does anything to argue against that point of view with the with the plot. Yeah, not really. Cuz they don't they I mean they save the people, I guess at the end, but it's only through interfering. Right? Like or like I I guess it's reconciling their interference is what they do, but then you start getting into the weird time travel aspect of it and you're like, "Well, they didn't really reconcile anything. Like they didn't they didn't learn anything and it's only Kess at the end that seems to have an idea of what happened to them through that entire adventure so i'm not sure it's just it feels more like it's a star trek episode has to end we'll make it a happy ending and they won't have killed all these people but i don't know if anyone will really learn anything because of it yeah i mean there's literally no way they could learn anything because as it stands at the end the events of the episode do not happen. So, well, <clears throat> sorry. Here's the other way to look at it: the time travel thing, right? It, it goes through all the exact same way, except Janeway and Paris get back home to Voyager, and it resets, but the the planet is still destroyed. So, what that is saying is that you can unintentionally cause cause outcomes that are bad, and you're not even aware of the fact that you've done anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's still a really tough place to end an episode of Star Trek. On, it, it is, but um, I, I, that's what that's. I think that's like the any, only interesting way to approach this Prime Directive story. Any any version of this story that ends with a planet's worth of people are dead because of something that the that the Voyager did. I want that is kid a to really die. Tough way. I want that annoying I, kid. Clearly, actor. I can tell. Yes. <laughs> I'm like Brandon Braga um, writing Trip in the series finale of Enterprise. I just want someone. I just want him to die. You know, yeah. It's just <laughs> it's a really tough place to 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 end up. And I mean, I I I think honestly, you you probably have to consider the fact that maybe they weren't actually trying to say anything yeah. about the Prime Directive uh, or the the use of it or whatever, and they were just doing something kind of like novel with it. Because yeah, I think I I do think they're in a really tough spot because if you end that episode with everybody's still dead, and it's because of inadvertently or not, it's because of uh, Voyager trying to help survivors on the planet. That's that's a really dark place to end your episode, and in a, in an episode that is not playing with those things really. Yeah, like it's th- this episode is is very much more of like a it's literally a ticking clock episode um 
and there's and that's kind of what I was saying where I they don't really do a lot in the middle of it. So what you're left with is just Voyager trying to solve the problems. And it's fun. It's a fun Star Trek, fun sci-fi inversion of the Prime Directive and stuff. But, like, they're not really getting into a lot of theme about it. And so if you were to end this episode as it stands with an an ending that's that big of a downer, I think that's really going to be not ring true to the story that they were telling. I think there is a different story they could tell. That ends that way, and it doesn't feel like it's devastating and the incredibly dark. Well, I mean, it's going to be dark either way, but you know what I mean. Yep. Um, but I don't know if this episode is is built for that kind of ending. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I would just I, I would just stick with it because I think that that's the only way that what they're talking about with the Prime Directive means anything is if the, mm-hmm. if those people actually suffer some kind of consequence from it. I, I think that. It's a flaw of the ideology that you can't end it that way in a way that only makes sense. I think that that like proves that there's a problem with their with their idea of what the prime directive should be. Mm-hmm. I just think that the reset is fairly unsatisfying to me. It's not a great. It's also because Kess is the only one who remembers, but Kess wasn't on the planet with them, or right, like yeah. Kess is just another further furthering my theory that Kess is going to be a problem. Uh, quick, quick, sooner than later. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like she's kind of all over the place because she's got mental powers now. Which, sure, the Ocampa I mean, I thing think, is weird. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I think I don't see any reason why you couldn't have Janeway in Paris. Remember what happened? And so at the end, there it, everything resets. But Janeway and Paris both remember the events of, and what they caused and then have a moment where the two of them kind of talk to each other about it so you can have the planet be saved but then also have Janeway in Paris acknowledge the the darkness that comes with what just happened and the fact that they inadvertently caused the death of all these people yeah uh, even though they even though they saved them in the end you know i think there's i think there's room for that fi- a final scene like that i'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't do that because yeah, doing a hard reset where everybody just—it's it, like nothing ever happened. Right. It's like yeah, that's for Star Trek. That doesn't really sit. Usually, usually there are people, and even with Kess, it's like it's not like Kess has any. Kess doesn't know the Prime Directive. Like, there's literally a scene I think, if I remember correctly, where someone has to explain it to her what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and like having her be the person that remembers doesn't mean anything because she doesn't understand the gravity of, of what you, well, I mean, she understands the gravity on one level, but she doesn't understand it on like a Starfleet level. Yeah. Well, Um, she doesn't understand it in the sense of what the episode has been doing. Really? She understands that a lot of people aren't dead, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I wish they had had, Janeway in Paris, or maybe even just Janeway, remember. No, I think it would probably need to be both of them. Janeway in Paris, uh, remember what had happened. If only so, someone can glean something from this event instead of just, you know, fixing the problem, setting everything back to one, and then uh, going on their way. Yeah, because they they set them up as oppositional in terms of the Prime Directive. Because when they get there, Janeway's like, "We can't tell them anything; it'll violate the Prime Directive." 
And Paris has the, in my opinion, um, like rational response to that is like, well, anything has to be better than just genocide of them. Like it's not genocide, but anything has to be better than just the mass destruction of the society. Like if they think that there's a spaceship out in space, like who, who knows? So they don't really continue that thread. That's just kind of like voiced at that point, but they don't have them reconcile at the end and discuss what they've learned <laughs> through the course think, of their you know, adventure. I think what's fascinating about the Prime Directive thing is I actually think Star Trek Into Darkness has an interesting kind of take on the Prime Directive element at the beginning of the Into Darkness because I do think there's a question of why can't you influence something or step in in a cataclysmic event situation as long as you maintain your cover basically so because the 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 mind-bending element of of the prime directive is that there are space-faring people who can fly faster than the speed of light and go planet to planet if you don't expose that part why is it so bad to go down and prevent a volcano from killing millions of people or yeah you know you know what i mean where it's like if you can if you can step in and alter things or fix things in a way that doesn't completely blow up the uh uh the the fundamental understanding of how the world works for for a species or civilization yeah i think there's wiggle room there where you can do that and and still maintain that you didn't do anything wrong or you know you didn't quote unquote break the prime directive yeah but um, in which case in which case I'm I'm surprised that Paris doesn't push harder from that end because it's like in this situation it's like well these people are already dead like something blew up killed all these people we have an opportunity to possibly save them yeah and I know the prime directive says we shan't we can't interfere but we're not we wouldn't be interfering by landing voyager down from the sky and taking everybody off the, you know what i mean there's yeah. there's like a i feel like there's a there's different ways to interpret how you would handle that situation yeah i mean it's it's built around the flawed idea that the whole problem is that people just can't know about you and it's not about mm-hmm. the inherent moral decision of i know what's better for you than you know which is really the reason that they would that the, this argument it's like a, it's all based on like moral relativism it's like who am i to tell you what's the right thing to do who am i to play god mm. basically like you you have yeah. to figure it out and i think that that runs into that problem there where like an interesting prime directive conundrum would be say it's a, this same the same exact plot except this alien race that they find are like rapist murderer child molester people you know and it's like then you're right, like oh right. boy like we'd be better off letting these people blow up wouldn't we but that would violate the prime directive is that the right thing are we really so right to to choose that these rapists need to be murdered so i think that that's the that's the thing that star trek can never really get into but that's what the hard decision in a prime directive would be is if you run into a much worse society and you could get rid of them is that the right thing to do you know yeah yeah i think you know i think it's born of interesting idea well it's i think it's born of basically the uh what if what if you could go back in time and and give 
the uh, the American revolutionaries laser cannons. You know, yeah. it's like a lot a lot of things would change. If, you know, it, that's not letting things play out naturally. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I think that there is some interesting room to get into uh, uh, different conversations about stuff when it comes to that because it is it is such a it is such a fascinating idea that like in the one sentence form makes sense right like you write like oh yeah okay that's it makes sense for these people to live by this thing until it becomes until you apply it to yeah. cer- certain situations and then you see okay well it's not so easy just to put one sentence uh uh instructions on how to handle this stuff well it brings it down to if you truly have a belief system it's hard to it's hard to take a like the the moral relativism makes everything meaningless to you because if you truly believe something it's it's kind of like you know extremely religious people on one hand you understand them being so fervently anti-abortion and stuff like that mm-hmm. because it's like in in their worldview this is a genocide that's happening right. you know and th- like right. this is a horrible thing that should be stopped so what it doesn't make sense to have that uh, sort of religious worldview, but also be like, well, people can just do whatever they want. You know, at that point, it's like, why do you even have the belief then? Because it clearly doesn't mean anything to you if you're not willing to stand up for that belief. And I think that that's the, that's the problem with the prime directive is that the Federation has all these values and ethics about things. And it's largely like this, like, you know, utopian liberal society type situation but it doesn't want to actually tell people about it. It's like, nah, just, right. nah, it's better to live in the caves like these people and just, you know, not have any kind of like improvement to their lives. I, I think it just runs into that problem over and over again. Yeah. And I mean, even in, even in the case of the religious example you're using, a big part of, well, at least, yeah, I would say most religions, I would guess, are, is the free will element of it, where it's like, yep, yep there's, there's, the religious aspect, but baked into that is the idea that humans can do, can and will do what they want. They can make their own choices. Right. And so, you know, you run into the same problems there where it's like, you know, who am I to tell what's right or what's wrong? But also there's some things that feel more wrong or more right than other things. And it's, yeah. it's a sticky situation to be in. Yeah. 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 It's the, um, I guess it all just comes down to really examining what that means. And the prime directive is never really going to examine what that means. I don't, I don't think right, you could yeah. have a whole, they could have a whole Star Trek season about a prime directive issue. You know, like it's, yeah. it's a topic that yeah. could span a season. If there was one event that was interesting enough to really play off of. Um, we talked briefly about Kess. I'm, I was, I was not pleased with the Kess direction here. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't need, I don't need this, whatever this is. Whatever this is going to do, uh, Neelix is fairly annoying with her, but I don't think he was as annoying as in Parallax. Um, and the rest of it was just, uh, I just wanted to hit again that point that I, I really enjoyed the idea of a time travel episode where the two characters are in different time in the same spot. I think that's kind of a neat concept. But any of those three, if you want to touch on them briefly, have you ever seen the Denzel Washington movie? shit uh deja vu no that's the new orleans police one isn't it is he a detective yeah, or something? tony scott movie yeah, yeah it's a time travel it. movie it's a time travel movie and it it plays a lot with 
um, being in the same place as somebody else, but in two different times. Like there's, yeah. there's this amazing gimmick about halfway through the movie that, well, the, the whole gimmick is they've got this time. They can look into the past, but they can only look X number of hours into the past. And there has to, there's like a certain scope. There's, there's limitations to it. It's fun. But uh, there's a, I know I've brought this up before. There's a great scene about maybe halfway through where there's a, a, a car chase where Denzel Washington is chase he's got he's got a mobile mobile time travel visual unit that he's wearing <laughs> that can see can see 2 days into the past but he has to remain within a certain uh distance. certain distance with the target yep. and so the target starts moving and gets into a car so he has to chase the car that's driving the same roads he's driving two days ago. Yeah, but he's now driving at the same. So it's it's really fun. It's <laughs> it's uh, it is it's a very cool concept. Um, Kess is uh, I the only thing that I liked about Kess is that she was the vehicle for another great doctor scene. Yeah, um, yeah. I really like the doctor. My favorite thing about the doctor so far is that he is completely oblivious to everything else that's going on. So he constantly thinks his bullshit (laughs) stuff is the most important thing that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Even though he's like, can you missing? Yeah. Can you call the captain and get her down here to fix this? And like the captain's gone. She's stuck two days in the past. (laughs) What? (laughs) Well then get the next available (laughs) officer, I guess. I like the doctor subplot. They're not really hitting it, but that's like, that's just the, uh, the beat that the doctor is going on my favorite thing about Kess is i liked her sort of spider-man-y outfit and this one where she has yeah like, that was a, it was a cool look i like that <laughs> the only the strangest thing about Kess is that uh she's this oh camping right and now they're going to start making big deals about they have psychic abilities i feel that caretaker the pilot didn't really stress them enough for me to feel that this is like a legitimate development for this character that they're kind of like some kind of like God characters that they've got tagging along with them. It just, um, I don't know. It feels to me, it just feels like it's a lack of it's early. So this probably isn't the case, but it feels like a lack of like, what do we do with these two that? Mm-hmm. And the, the other, the other thing that I, I think we're probably early in, but I know this is going to be the case. Like, how much do they really expect Neelix to know about this place? Like they're going right. incredibly yeah. fast, very long distances. He's not going to know a lot after he no. gets no. out of his neighborhood. You know, he's he's relying, or I should say, they're relying on him to know stuff as someone would rely on you to know stuff about a state you're driving through on a road yeah. trip. Yeah, because you say I went on vacation here once. Oh, or you well, just live in actually, the state. We just like if I was yeah, out in Western true. Mass yeah. and I was just like I don't that's know what true. this is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you live in Massachusetts. What's the best way for me to get to Cape Cod? I was like, I, I don't yeah. know. What's the best pizza place uh, in Williamsburg? It's like, uh, I don't know. It's little, yeah, it, it's the same thing that happens to me. Actually, basically, anytime we talk to friends or family, because everybody assumes that we live in Boston. Yes, and we 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 don't. We live like just outside of Boston, like where it's a, it's a very short drive to Boston, but everyone's like what's so what's it like downtown these days and it's like i've been here for 10 years i can count on like two hands the number of times i've gone quote unquote downtown downtown no i know do they still have that pizza place that i like buddy couldn't tell you red Sox are still there yeah that's that's the the neelix problem uh the final thing before we go to well 
I just wish Neelix had. I just wish Neelix had like an angle. I think I said that in the first episode or so. Like he doesn't have, like, there's no subterfuge built no. into him. He's not malicious. He doesn't have. He doesn't have something he wants. He doesn't have uh, something that he. Any information that he does or doesn't give them is driving him towards. Yeah. Like so many of the other characters on the show are very well defined and, and maybe they don't have you know legitimate issue to issue wants or needs or whatever like i said before they can have conversations and they are coming from specific points of view so those conversations can feel in character when they have them and feel that's why i that's why i feel like the conversations in this show so far have been more gratifying yeah. than the ones in enterprise yeah neelix doesn't have that neelix is neelix and kess are just there yeah, and they don't really have anything they're about, so they end up feeling just kind of like dead weight. Yeah, it, it, it's it, you've sparked me for um, they are dead weight, and talking about how the characters having co- like fun conversations in a way that I don't think Enterprise ever did. I love mm. the Tom and Harry thing where he's like, "You're not going to see your girlfriend again. Let's go fuck these twins." <laughs> I had so many questions about that. I was like, "Wait a minute, hold on." <laughs> How how rare is it or common is it for two sisters or two people from the same family to work together in the same unit on the same starship? And they only date together. The, the Thomas Paris yeah. says the only way they'll go out is if they go out together. So Yeah, it's it was a very it was a conversation that makes <laughs> sense in like literally any other setting, but being <laughs> In this particular environment on this particular show and concept, I, I I was like, okay, I guess. How isn't there only like twenty five people on this ship or something? Like yeah, this I think it's point? like a hundred after they all died. There's only about a hundred people on there, so the two twins yeah. survived, fortunately. Yeah, I I think that that conversation hints to this. Maybe a, I don't know if this this will be a problem, but I could see it being a problem, or I can see it just me not caring if it's a problem. They're still fairly jovial about their situation here, where they're like, right. ah, "We're not, we're not right. going to get. Let's just have sex with people. We're not getting home anytime soon." There, there's no serious moment where Ensign Kim looks at a picture of his loved one and is like, "Oh, we're right. so far away from these people." It's it's pretty loose about what the attitude is to this journey. Yeah, yeah. It also it's also not. I'm still not in love with Paris as a character. Mm. Um, I, I still think he might be a little bit miscast uh, because he seems to be very quickly turning into just he's the horny Riker analog. Yeah, he's a younger Riker. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I, I feel like his setup is more interesting than that, but the way that... Uh, I don't know. I can't remember the actor's name. Well, but the way yeah, that he's played... Tom, Duncan McNeil. Feels, yeah, it, it just feels too much like he's just a stock uh sexy commander character yeah i because i he was the most defined by the maquis starfleet split right he was the one in the middle who wasn't sure what to do so his Mm. characterization was built off of that but now that they've homogenized all of them he has no there's nothing to him anymore right um even like especially like i was just gonna say you know I think when they when he and Janeway were stuck in the past, there was more opportunity or, or uh, um, room for him to kind of spout some 
Maquis beliefs. He does. In that he situation. Push, I would say he pushes back a little more than is a like the tradi- Yeah, he he argues with the prime directive. I think like that's his function there. Uh, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to be the strength of the episode, but I do. I do wish that they would play him up as to be more of like a um, delinquent officer. Like he's not a fully yeah. bought into the system yet. I think right. that would be good yeah. for him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's go to patron thoughts then. So that's it, everybody. Thank you very much for supporting the show and listening to the show. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to do it. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. You get a whole bunch of extra stuff. You get extra podcasts. You get the ability to vote. What do we cover? You're going to get all of our Picard season two coverage, which is happening now, I think. Speaking, talk about time travel. Yes. Going back into the trial the, never the era ends. Of the, yeah, going back into the era of the uh, CBS. Uh, <laughs> you think they've improved the costumes? The, the CBS procedural SUV. We'll see how that's going. I'm still stuck on that. I don't know why I'm still stuck on that in that trailer. As soon as I saw like a Ford SUV doing a tight turn around a corner in New York, I was like, what is this, this is, show? This is, this is not, they've this just is not turned it into NCIS. Yeah. Well, we might be, at this point in the recording, we might be um, loving Picard yeah. CSI. We might be like, this Maybe. is what the series needed, and this will all be just a weird juxtaposition. I hope so. Uh, so you can check out all the Picard Season 2 coverage. is happening right now as we are airing <clears throat> these episodes of Voyager. There's the Rotten Horror Picture Show special with Clay and Amanda are doing Stephen King B-roll sides, uh, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. And you can always leave your comments on upcoming episodes. And if you're a Captain Tier supporter, we say thank you by saying thank you to Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Andrew Charlock, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Mike Burnett, Christian Bouch, Michael Pond, Matthew Ross, Matt Cutler, Brandon Howells, Nick Sergey, Grim Santos, Sean Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hackett, Ball 13 Hero, Kevin Reyes, Darth Moss, Jordan Cooper, Russell Oge, Stefan Minden, HH28, Derek Zajac, Paul Roscoe, Jake123, Patrick Seba, Poindexter G, Dave Davies, Barry Wallace, Nick the Rat, Jamie Crow, Captain, Captain Brazen, Eric Antoine, Jacobs Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Grapple John Zorn, William Scheisler, Rahan Jaffer, Soylent Blues, A Majors, Olivier Bardur, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunters, EWNF Remixes, Dizbrada, Captain McMunchausen, James McLennan, Ed Mark Starr, Jonas, Tommy Tango, and Tuvix Must Die, Chris, Chris McLaughlin, Royo, and Rage for the Machine. So the timing's all screwed up, Clay, but we did have an up, uh, an up boost in the Patreon since that uh since we announced what we're doing for Voyager and Picard. Oh, cool. So there are a lot of different new names in the ten dollar list, which is much appreciated. And thank you. But we're you in can our tell own. because I used that money to buy a different shirt. That's right. We're in our own temporal mechanics and everything is wonky in terms of timing now. So let's go to patron thoughts. If you're a patron at the five dollar up level, you leave your thoughts about an episode, we read them. Norman Buckwald says, Time and again. So the third episode of the series and you're already the second related to time travel plot twist still it's a good one if you overlook the hideous outfits of the planet it's like they're begging to be annihilated definitely provides promise of the character Kess and already shows definite negative aspects of neelix as her boyfriend janeway seems too much like picard in her defense of the prime directive that yes i wouldn't be surprised if this was originally written for tng still not a bad time travel episode and so i'll give it two sets of delaney sisters thus four out of five i would absolutely be the guy in the writer's room after this episode to go, what if we did the first 10 episodes all time travel episodes? <laughs> Guys, I've realized the past two have been time travel. Let's just let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's commit to it. And then, uh, then from 11 through 22, it's all of them dealing with the insane, intense mental and physical side effects <laughs> of being exposed to temporal anomalies for the past month and a half. I believe that Voyager 
likes time travel the most of all the series. So I think it's a thing mm-hmm. that they re- recur to. Uh, this I is, do know, I do know that the finale is a time travel episode. So yes. it makes at least they're laying the groundwork. They for are. That, so. they're, they're getting us ready for it. This is also the first of nine times that Janeway will die in the series. Does she die? She apparently dies. She dies. This. Yeah, she t- for a moment she's dead or something. That's what Memory Alpha says. So. I that's that's stretching it. I think no one ever dies. Let's see. I can I can I can find where it is. Where's the Janeway? Janeway. Is it too hard? Oh, here it is. Episode features the first of nine times that Janeway's death is depicted over the course of the series. On this occasion, the version of Janeway that succumbs to death is one of the alternate timelines that ultimately doesn't come to pass. Okay. Uh, okay. So I, she, we don't, don't see her die, but the timeline where she doesn't fix things, she does die at some point. That, sure. That's that's uh, sounds like a par a, a technicality paradox to me. But so does that mean when they find the badges, is that the timeline in which she dies? I don't remember a scene where they leave the badges behind. Does that happen? Do they take the com- communicators? Yes, from they them? do. Okay. And yeah, they just the leave office, them in the room. The office scene. Yeah the for the first attempt when they try to uh, do the little portal thingy. Yeah. Um. The last the the portal opens up right after they leave and you can see the badges on the oh, table there. okay all right that makes more sense i really like so yeah the- i guess technically technically she dies the same way like doc brown dies and yes. back to the future three yeah, right yes there's a death of somewhere along it i like the sequence where the guy's like what are these devices why don't you show me how you use it and janeway's eyes light up as the face on the desk and she goes to grab it the guy's like not so fast i like that I did. It was a good save on his point. It was like, may uh, maybe they're weapons, though. <laughs> Who's, to say? Who's to say? Let's not find out. James McLennan <clears throat> says, And so Voyager's love affair with time travel begins. As a time travel episode, this is pretty me- mediocre, but it's actually one of the better Prime Directive episodes, mainly because the crew doesn't sit by and watch a planet get extinguished and then reprimand Paul Servino for trying to save people. Of course, in true <laughs> Voyager fashion, the episode doesn't even happen, and this time it makes the whole effort feel pointless. Also, hard to disagree with Norman Buckwald above. The, episode, the outfits in this episode are awesome. Three subspace fractures out of five. Ooh, Eric fight. Eric Sanchuan says, so that's two episodes in a row that have to do with space-time anomalies. I'm sensing a pattern here. Or maybe they flipped a coin in the writer's room and then to avoid a fist fight said, fuck it, let's just do both of them. Fine, but at least space them out a little bit, will you? Anyway, this is one of the better, this is the better of the two, in my opinion. Suitably entertaining popcorn television, which is what the show is, and not much more when it works. Point extra G says, time and again, it looks like the costume department finally found a use for all of Shatner's old corsets. Those alien outfits were a bizarre choice. This is an altogether inoffensive episode, standard Trek Mystery of the Week fair. I prefer in the, quote, episode that never happened, end quote, for someone to remember and take some lesson from it. I guess Kess's premonition mm-hmm. and the setup for her down the line will have to do. Oh, interesting. That kid Ben Setup for her down the line. Huh? Yeah. That kid Ben says, how many temporal problems can we run into in one week? They should outlaw all temporal things. Make a uh, might be a war over it. Maybe a cold one. Three Optimus Prime directives out of five. Patrick Seba says, "Berman may condemn us. It's not a shit premise. The Maquis have integrated full, but what a waste with Maquis newly placed of Delaney sisters. They've a room full. Three corseted Houston Astros tequila sunrise uniforms as Star Trek cosplays out of five. They do look like the Houston Astros. That's what they look like." 
I was trying yeah, to think what they yeah, they I look do. exactly like the Astros. All right, there we go. Good job, thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Latte Librarian says Tom Paris is more is like a more worldly season one Bashir from DS Nine. Three Polaric energy conduits out of five. Uh, is he Bashir? I guess he is. Paris? Is Bashir just a young Riker? I. Um. <clears throat> I would say he's more like Riker no, no, to me than Bashir, really. Yeah, he seems more... Yeah, because Bashir is... It's tough because Bashir is set up as the Starfleet guy in a show of, of full of characters who are willing to yeah, it's do not non-Starfleet stuff. And Paris definitely doesn't feel like... Like, that would feel like Harry Kim to me. Yeah. Knowing little about harry kim it seems like he would fit that role more than paris does paris because i mean paris already he already left starfleet and joined a rebel group so he's not he's already more hardcore than bashir is (laughs) or was at the beginning anyway yeah maybe that's the the first of his deaths christian pouch said quite a neat and horrifying concept for a disaster which wipes out a planet albeit the anomaly the analogy to nuclear power is idiotic and borderline fear-mongering I like pedestrian paradox, uh, predestination paradox of Voyager causing the explosion, even if it's the second loop plot in a row. Voyager loves its sci-fi, but looking back, I wish they'd put more emphasis on developing their characters because I still don't know much about them, and this episode does nothing to help. I'd make a corset joke, but that topic seems to have been squeezed as much as I can be. 3.5 out of 5. Yeah, I mean, if, if it was a nuclear power analogy, um, it's pretty stupid. I, I, I don't know. I guess it kind of it kind of is, but I, I think it's not too much of that. Um, I think I the only reason I think that it is is because of the time period. Because I, I feel like nobody talks about nuclear power anymore. But between like 1980 and 1995, I feel like that was one of the things on the list that were like that were really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I see it as such a time capsule. Like, what would make me think that it's nuclear power is they're sort of like, oh, no, like, can you believe that people did this when mm-hmm. we're now at a point where, like, you know, if you're, if you're serious about climate change, you have to be serious about nuclear power. You know, it's like it's flipped so mm-hmm. much. It's like the only way you're going to do this is if you build nuclear plants and you actually, like, run them well and stuff like that. So right, right. we're not getting it from the sun, people. Like, it's not it's not happening through these solar panels on your house. It's just not enough. Um, yeah, I don't know. But they, they also don't spend any time about it. It's just kind of a throwaway, like, right. can you believe that this is the thing that used to happen? Yeah. Well, that's that's what I mean about the whole episode is I don't I don't feel like it's really saying anything. It's kind of like using things in a, in a fun way. Yeah. But I don't know that it's it's really has a has a, a real theme to it that it's it's trying to trying to get across as so much. Royo says the episode starts off with Janeway thinking it's a good idea to walk around a Chernobyl disaster site with no protective gear, and lo and behold, the away team gets irradiated with technobabble. When the head terrorist pulls the trigger and murders several people, he says their lives are on your conscience, Janeway. I really cannot stand this delusional rationalization, and worse, I sometimes see audiences eat up the logic and call the hostage the killer and not the bloody hostage taker. Anyway, this episode suffers from using a thinly veiled substitute for nuclear power and then doing nothing with it. Then it becomes about adhering to the Prime Directive before it becomes about actively violating the Prime Directive to save lives. Until then, none of that ever happened. Maybe the episode should have been about something and have things actually happen in it. Two allegories to the Voyager reset button out of five. Matt Ross says, The weirdest part is Kess's odd cage 
<laughs> is it is it uh i think he's got a typo in the word but uh, brazier brazier i don't think he wants to say brazier but brazier i'll say thing in purple and that annoying kid i know the guns were borrowed from the crime show as the props fell through at production oh really interesting the idea oh, of subspace okay. pieces and time travel is interesting the lifesavers jumpsuits not so much this is also i believe is historic as the first voyager reset it's okay as any time paradox goes, but does show the bureaucratic Starfleet health form system. It could be now. Three resets out of five. Jonah says, this was so bland an episode that it was interesting in how bland it was. When McCool shoots the guard at the entrance to the power plant, the gun is hardly pointing at the guard when fired, and there's no blood or sign of a bullet penetrating the guard's body. The same is the case when Paris gets shot, at which point McNeil tries to act wounded. The more I see of Cass, the more I think that the universe is completely on Neelix's side. I suppose Paris is charming in this episode? Two out of five. Kyle Barrett says, Welcome to the most generic alien world and the most generic story in the most generic Star Trek show where people work at such nonspecific places as the Media Bureau and eat things like confection bars. Episode is fine, I guess, and a three out of five if shown later in the season, but it's a bad third episode of the show, introducing nothing but Kess turning into the three-eyed raven. It's decently plotted <laughs> with some nice twists, but I wish there was a bigger point as to why the story is being told. Maybe if the episode was all about enforcing that Voyager will be sticking to Starfleet principles despite its extraordinary situation, but that's barely explored. As it stands, the Doctor subplot continues to be the best part of the show. I also believe that Janeway's line, my weapon may be able to seal that hole, is Rick Berman's personal mantra. Two condemnations of nuclear power out of five. I, I, did, um, I did find it funny when they were having that conversation about the timepiece because it's like, <laughs> how does this... Uh, how does this watch work? He's like, well, it works like a watch. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> How do watches work here? <laughs> uh, same way they work in Chicago. <laughs> I like that. Um, I I kind of appreciated that. I, like, I can't remember the specific lines, but uh, McNeil Paris is when he's talking to that guy. The the human race, this alien race is kind of set up as like contemporary humans, but when he's like pretending to be this character, he's like, doth thou have any time pieces? <laughs> and he's like, this is our clock selection. He's like, how how do these devices monitor the day of hour? It's like, okay, well, he's... he's how to up. tell time without a dial for the sun? <laughs> I, did, I did like his uh, cryptic. Nothing like... um just giving a little bit of burn to people who don't know they're going to be dead soon. He's like, I'll come back if there's time. <laughs> Just walks Tomorrow. Yeah. I like, um, I think Kyle brought up a good point that maybe it was what I was trying to get at with the ending here, which is that if this was about Voyager sticking to the prime directive in the face of a bad decision, but it's like, this is all we have at this point. We have to go by the rules. I think mm-hmm. that that's what elevates the ending here, which is that like, if if their prime direct sticking to the prime directive causes this genocide, that's showing something about what Janeway is choosing to do in the Delta Quadrant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's something. I think that's something there. I mean, is it is it not something then that she's choosing not to stick with it? It is. It could be either way, but I think early in the series, I think she has to be. I think early on, this is a very different series from what we're, we've been watching. But early on, if there was actually this maquis tension, right? right. I think Janeway right. trying to stick to regulation yes. would be illuminating of her character at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, we'll see. That's she also, though, away. I mean, to be fair, I I don't know if I 100% think she is someone who would be that rigid. Um, Interesting. I find I her know. very rigid. I find her very... Yeah. Um, I feel like she's stiff. rigid on the ship, mm-hmm. but I feel like in the field, she's got a little bit more wiggle room to kind of like try some stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But again, that's, yeah, it's kind of a different show at this point, unfortunately. Yeah. It was, and just we talked about before, um, Berman and Pillar didn't have a lot of good things to say about DS9, which I think is interesting, at least the first season that they worked on it. They said the memory off of here was just saying that they're deliberately trying to turn Janeway to describe Janeway because they feel they felt that they failed describing Cisco in the first season of DS9. Mm. Um interesting, yeah. I I would not disagree with the fact that Cisco is probably ill-defined in the first season of DS9. Yeah. But what I think is interesting is that by not defining him well, it allowed the other characters a little room to gr- to branch out. Like yeah, in some ways Cisco's sure. the least important captain to his show. Sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it takes I think it takes him a while to really roll into a position where he's important. Yeah. Uh, or to to the larger goings on at Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't think that was a a problem. I actually kind of liked it that Cisco's that way, but I, I do think that they are focusing on Janeway. Even though at this point, I think I have a hard time describing what Janeway is. We're only a couple episodes in, but she she's not. I don't think she's been consistently drawn as one way or another. Cerulio said, I love that the audience stand-in, I mean Tom Paris, still doesn't understand effect before cause time travel situations. I wish Janeway would have ended her explanation with, you know, like last week, when we tried to rescue our future selves from that anomaly, ringing any bells. All that being said, I usually enjoy using time travel to create what-if episodes, but I think that they're only worth doing if it changes or provides insight to the main characters like Yesterday's Enterprise, Children of Time to a lesser extent, or Twilight to the least extent. Two Delaney sisters out of five. Yeah, we've talked about that many times before. It's like the the reason you do time travel is so you you can your characters can learn new things about situations they took for granted or something like that. You yeah, know, you can't doing a time travel story for the sake of just doing a time travel story is is fun, but it's ultimately hollow. Yes, you have to have a killer time travel concept. The the concept has to be right, right, spectacular. Grappler John Zorn says Paris and Janeway go back in time. Man, that kid is annoying. And so is the kid they meet on the planet. Not a big Tom Paris band. Brandon Howell says, Time and again, oh, look, Voyager nearly caused its own destruction by trying to prevent a catastrophe which they caused in the first place. Didn't we see the same concept in Parallax? Get used to it, friends. It will be happening many more times before this show ends. The kid is still annoying. Two child-eating demons out of five. And finally, Rayhan Jaffa says, Everyone in this episode is dressed like the interior of a fast food restaurant where I used to eat in the mid-90s. They had great hamburgers. I wonder what happened to that place. Three candy corn people out of five. Well, clearly it went out of business because it doesn't have people telling you the name of the place. Yeah. How am I supposed to get a burger if I don't know where the burgers are coming from? You know, that's my whole ethos. Thank you, patrons, for your thoughts about time and again. Claire, we're going to give go to our final thoughts here on our scale of one to five. What are you going to give time and again? You liked it a little bit less than Parallax is what your implication was. Yeah, I'm going to go with a three. I think it's a higher three, but it's still a three because I, I, I like it. I like the the fun of the Prime Directive stuff, but I kind of wish that they pushed it further. Um, 
in kind of all respects, uh, especially in the, the, the stuff in the past. I just wish they went a little bit further down the rabbit hole with, with their idea instead of just sort of skimming the top, getting to the fun stuff, and then kind of wrapping it up. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I like it as a concept. I think it's character-wise it works pretty well. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a good idea, but I think it could have they could have uh, punched it up a bit. I'm also going to give it a three, which would be my third three in a row for Voyager. Um, I'm enjoying Voyager so far. Uh, like it's yeah. It, there's a there is like we talked about it before. There is a kind of comfort to this show that's different yeah. from what Enterprise was. Um, I like the character, and I feel I feel I still feel that the characters are better drawn three episodes in here than Enterprise ever eventually got to the, with those guys. I just I know what these characters are going to talk about when they're with each other, yeah. and that's kind of a comforting yeah. thing. I was wondering. And I'm 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 giving these threes just because I do feel that like that patron had said previously, like I do feel that these are Voyager episodes. So I, I I'm I'm trying not to get too excited, and I don't think that any of these would be one that I'd be like I have to show this to somebody because this seems like a really good episode of this show. But I am liking it. But my question mm-hmm. is, are we are we just overrating Voyager at this point? Um, not not in terms of the rating, but are we just like. Are we interested in this series in a way just because it's new <laughs> to us, or is there something I mean, maybe. else going on? I I no, I'm going to say no because I feel like I when when I when we started doing Deep Space Nine and the episodes that I came on in those first few that first season or so of Deep Space Nine, that was like. There were bad episodes in there, and there are stuff that doesn't work. There's clearly trying to figure stuff out, Um, and so like I think we both we've been doing this long enough that we know we know subpar Star Trek when we see it, and so far this hasn't been that. I I just don't think, and I mean maybe some of that is because you know Enterprise was a Star Trek show less like the kind of Star Trek show we were familiar with and maybe that was a barrier that we never totally got over um and Voyager's obviously closer to what we're used to yeah so I don't know maybe that is clicking uh, clicking it up a little bit at the beginning I'm not sure but I mean I I have yet to I mean we've always done four episodes so it's it's not really that big of a sample size but like you know I I love TNG. It's probably it's of all the shows we've watched, it's my favorite Star Trek show. You put a bad TNG episode on, I'm not going like, well, I mean, aside from the hair, what's really bad about Angel <laughs> One? You know, it's like right. no, that's not how. Like you you can you can recognize when it's when it's dog shit. And so far, I think it's been fairly solid. It's yeah. uh, and I honestly I do think a big part of that is the characters because they do draw them so clearly. Um, and even even in TNG, I think it takes them a little bit to figure out who everybody is. Yeah. But this one has a pretty – everybody's kind of positioned um, in a relatable or identifiable way because you start off with this kind of cl- cataclysmic event that everybody has to be part of. Yeah. And so knowing where – I've said it a million times already – knowing where everybody comes from allows those – 
allows you to recognize the con like you're saying you know what kind of conversations they're going to have you know where everyone what the point of views are going to be and how they're going to conf conflict they're going to conflict and stuff and i just think that's different than enterprise on a, yeah. just a pretty fundamental level yeah i um and just in terms of our rating i could see a thing where enterprise is a series of two out of fives and voyager is a series of three out of fives like i, mm -hmm. I could see that potentially being the case but what I'm interested in is if Voyager stays this way, and again, as you said, this is a small sample size because we're early. Things could tank. If Voyager's first season stays this way, and it's a fairly short season, I think it's probably the best, most consistent season of Star Trek, first first yeah. season that's come out yeah. because it's like they're not, they're not screwing anything up really at this point. I would just say that I don't think I'm severely overriding Voyager and I'm being conscious of that just because... Even in this episode, I know that you don't feel as strongly about it. And I know there were some patrons that were would disagree with this as well. But I felt there was something going on here that they didn't quite wrangle. But there, there was like mm -hmm. a, an, a kernel of an idea that was interesting, be it the prime directive exploration or like how temporal mechanics work into that or um, whether or not it's like it means anything to have the end be the way that it is. I felt there was... There was something to chew on, and I thought that there, there was like a a thought there behind this sure. in a way that I, yeah. I I don't feel about a lot of Enterprise episodes. So even if it didn't execute it well, I do think that there was there was a kernel here which I found interesting. But I'll give it a three. I think I thought yeah. I enjoyed watching it. That's it. Thanks everybody. Phage is the next episode. Thank you for leaving your comments on the Patreon, patreon.com slash the Penske file. That's how you support the show. Join the Discord if you're so interested in talking to us there. And that's it. We're going to be covering Star Trek Picard on the Patreon. Voyager continues with Phage in the next episode. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, keep checking out Rod and Horror Picture Show. As Wes mentioned on Patreon, we're doing the second string Stephen King adaptations. January, we did It Chapter 2. February, we did, we did Silver Bullet. March, we will have done Salem's Lot yep. from the set with the original Salem's Lot miniseries. So that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I got a book out. My graphic novel, Bloody Hell, is available in stores. And I got another one coming out, I think, in March. I don't know what month we're in in our own temporal timeline here. But uh, I got another book called Poser coming out, which is a horror slasher, punk rock horror slasher comic book graphic novel. So many. All those. But put on all those tags in Amazon. You'll find it. <laughs> Limit this search. That's it. <laughs> we're done. Phage is up next. That is time and again. Voyager continues. We're heading back home slowly but surely. Thanks, everybody, for leaving your comments. A lot of comments early in these Voyager episodes. Um, a lot of people talking about it on the Discord, too. But it's What does that tell you between Voyager and Enterprise? It does. It does. I don't remember the first season of Enterprise, how many comments we got. Probably not as much as this. This has been the most commented on series, I think, so far. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. All right, guys, that's it. Have a good one. We will see you next week.